Well, it's a joy to be back with you again this year, and I'm excited for the things that God is doing in each of our lives and the way He wants to continue to help us to become more and more like Him. And I think especially as a mother, as a wife, and a woman, it's exciting to know the various things that God can do in our hearts and the various roles that we play in our home. And one of the areas that has very much interested me as a mother is that of how to help my children learn how to be Christ-like. Isn't that why we're here? We all want to learn how to be Christ-like. And one of the things the Lord showed me is that I had to learn how to be Christ-like if I wanted to teach that to my children. So for years, when my children were very, very young, as I began to spend time with God and His Word, studying, I started studying the character qualities of Christ. And then I was praying, Lord, help me to understand how to cultivate your qualities, of the loveliness of your character, in the hearts of my children. And through the years, as my children grew older and they were now in school, I saw my need all over again to go back and look at those qualities and study them and see if there's other things that I'm missing to help instill in this maturing mind how your character can become a part of human nature. And so as my children reached into their youth years, this has been a study of mine for many years. And as I thought about cultivating the character of Christ in, the, in our children, I thought of a lovely garden. And for me, if I could live anywhere in the world, I would pick a beautiful garden scene. And really, as I and look, that's where God wanted us to live in the first place, wasn't it? The Garden of Eden. And I'm sure you've seen man's conceptions visualized through pictures and art and felts and movies or whatever that display the beauty of a garden. And it makes everyone, whether we're young or old, it just enlists our interest to be able to sit in that garden, to walk through that garden, to enjoy that garden and the beauty that it has. And so that's really uh, kind of the foundation of the entire series, Cultivating Christian Character, is the gardener. I don't know if you've ever, well, maybe I should ask, how many of you have a garden? Veggie garden, flower garden, or any kind of gardens? Good. So does your garden just come up beautifully? Does it? No. No. If you want to see what our property looked like when we bought it 18 years ago, it was just rough, woolly, wild woods. And now, after much hard labor, year after year after year, we have grass that grows and flowers and fruit trees and vegetables, and it takes a lot of work. And so, as parents working to cultivate the character of Jesus in our children, every garden needs to have a gardener or else what will happen is what happens in my garden if I'm too busy to go out and take care of it the weeds come up and they come up so quick don't they I mean it seems like we've often said we just weeded that bed and here they are again, and you work so hard to get those little plants to come up and you know you're very careful to protect them and nurture them and water them and and yet, the weeds just flourish, and it takes work to go out there and de-weed the garden and to cultivate the good, the right. And so, with 
the hearts of our children. I liken the hearts and our heart as a garden, as the soil. And in that soil, we want to plant the good seed. And the soil of the hearts of our children needs to have a tender gardener to work to cultivate in what is right. It takes time to have a beautiful garden, doesn't it? I can remember as we traveled Oh, many years ago, we were in New Zealand, and we were doing meetings in the area of Christ Church, and one of the leaders of organizing those meetings said, would you like to see a beautiful garden? And I was ready. I, I just love gardens. I said, oh, yes, I really love this. So he took us over to a, it's actually a big corporation called Sanitarium Foods. And he took us there, and at this big factory, all of the grounds around were sculptured, gorgeous, immaculate gardens. And I can remember walking through there and just stopping and looking, and isn't that beautiful? Oh, look how this trellis is, and look at the the little pond here, and and the, the lilies that are in the pond, and it was so attractive. And that's how God wants us to work in the hearts of our children, that we can help them to become attractive like he is attractive. So in my thoughts, to have a beautiful garden, we need to have a gardener. That's us. We're under the leadership of our Savior, of God, as the master behind the garden. But we are the workers that need to spend time. So in a physical garden, what do we need to be effective in our work to have a beautiful garden? What do we need? Tools. Somebody say tools. What kind of tools do you use in your garden? Hose. What? Rakes. Shovels. Ooh, that may hurt, right? Hose, okay. A watering hose and a hoe, right? Pitchfork, good. Steaks for tomatoes. What? Spades. Little little hand shovels for the delicate areas, and then sometimes those really heavy shovels. Now, where we live, we had to do a lot of cultivation because we're 75% gravel. We had about two inches of topsoil. So it has been a lot of work for us to, to build up that soil. And just this year, I was out harvesting and and I started digging through my lily bed my my little favorite spot of the garden I have all my lilies protected from the deer and I was in there with a spade and I got blisters on my hand because the soil was so hard and I had to dig all that bed out undo all those lily bulbs and replant and put in mulch and peat moss and, and extra nutrient soil so that the lilies would grow better and so that next summer I could weed them without you know, having this heavy spade in there. So I would like to challenge us as parents that God wants us to be the gardeners and that there is no occupation on earth, no profession, no more important work than to cultivate the character of Jesus Christ in the hearts of our children so that they can reveal the loveliness of his character. And I like what... The Apostle Paul says, and these are really the words of Christ, and this was Paul's experience. He said, my grace is sufficient. 
And I have found so much comfort in that because I recognize with my children, like I recognized in the physical gardening, that I don't have much knowledge in that area. We had children before I had even studied how to be a parent. If you understand what I'm saying, we're not trained how to be parents. We're not trained in the way we grow up how to raise a family to be a godly, Christ-like family. So we have to learn. And Jesus has said to us that his grace is sufficient. That means he has the, the wisdom and the abilities and the energy that we need as parents to do the work of a gardener. That his grace is sufficient, and it's sufficient, and it's made perfect in my weakness, in your weakness. That's encouraging to me, because when I became a mother, I didn't know I had so many weaknesses. In fact, the more I have parented, the more weaknesses that have been revealed of my human flesh. And so God wants to be the strength in our weakness. That means that he wants to change our weakness. He wants to trade our weakness for his strength, his wisdom, and his ability to help to soften the heart of that child, to plant in what is good, and to cultivate that and nurture that and to grow that. That means that the work in my heart and your heart as parents has to go on simultaneously with that work happening in the hearts of our children children heaven has given us every opportunity through heaven-born love heaven's wisdom and god's power to be successful the choice is are we willing to cooperate to accept that role as a gardener and cooperate with christ and use those tools that will help us to be effective because like in the natural garden it's impossible to grow without having tools to work the soil to plant the seeds you need the 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 garden hose and water to water and some may need greenhouses or our shelters from the heat i live in montana and i'm always needing more heat and sunshine my mother lives in the deserts of california and they have to put a shade cloth so the sun which is so intense at 120 degrees a day doesn't burn out those tender plants So there's all kind of tools and things to facilitate the garden. And so in the heart, there are all kind of tools that God has given us parents to use to cultivate those tender, precious character qualities of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as gardeners, if you will join me and accept the the role of being a gardener in the hearts of our children, I want to share with you things that God has given us, the tools that God has given us to help make us effective in our work in the hearts of our children. I'm going to be sharing each one of these in just a nutshell, and I would like you, if you have paper and pencil, to write them down and then go back to your scriptures, to your Bible, and in your study time, and study each one of these out and expand on this so that that tool can be used in its most effective way. Because we can, in the real garden, we have a a shed that has all our garden tools in it. We can have all the tools there on the wall, but unless we know how to use that tool, they're not effective. And so, with the tools God has given, we need to learn how to use those tools to be effective, to cultivate into the hearts of our children the loveliness, the beauty of Jesus Christ. (coughs) The first tool 
I think is vitally important. And they're all important, but the first two I'm going to talk about, I think, are the most important. Just like in a garden, you have some tools that you use regularly and some tools you only use occasionally. So also, as we work in the garden of the hearts of our children, certain tools we're going to be using much more frequently than some of the other tools. The first tool I'd like to discuss is the tool of prayer. Now, that seems pretty basic, doesn't it? We, as parents, should naturally be praying for our children, shouldn't we? I mean, we pray for the missionaries. We pray for the call porters. We pray for the needs of people in the church and neighbors and people who are going through crises. But how many of us pray regularly, daily, maybe many times a day for our children? Think about that. The Lord has brought conviction to my heart many times. I leave off that tool. And yet that's the very, very aspect that God wants to use to reach into the heart. He wants to reach into my heart and make me receptive and attentive and give me enlightenment. And it's the tool to reach into the heart of my child. Pray for our children and with our children. 1 Samuel 127, this is the words that Hannah spoke. For this child I prayed. And for years I used to think that meant that she wanted a baby so bad that she pled with God for him to give her a child. And God, in his time, honored her prayer, didn't he? But the Lord showed me that wasn't where Hannah's prayer stopped. She didn't just want to have a child so she could be like the other women in Israel. She wanted to have a child that was raised to be like the the Lord her God in character. I can envision Hannah praying earnestly, often, daily, frequently through the day for wisdom how to direct her son, often in prayer. So, praying for our children, praying for the Lord to give me guidance and wisdom, to give us guidance as wisdom as parents. Have you ever felt confused, perplexed? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this attitude. I don't know why they think the way they do. I don't know why they're not doing their chores. The Lord understands the heart condition of that child. And if we spend time with God in prayer and in communion with Him, He will help to give us insights and wisdom on how to work with the heart of that child and what the causes are of the problems that we're seeing through the tool of prayer. Prayer not only gives us wisdom and guidance, but praying with our child, kneeling before them. Do you know that that... To kneel with your child when there's contention, when there's resistance, maybe when I'm feeling a bit frustrated, to, to kneel together with them, just getting on your knees, I have found, often brings me to a more humble position. It softens my heart, getting on my knees, and then praying with my child, and asking God to forgive me, forgive them, and asking God to help us to solve the problem. It's, it's a powerful tool, very effective, and it should never be entered into out, as a, out of a habit of routine. 
And what I mean by that is a child does something wrong. Well, let's pray to Jesus and ask him to forgive us. That is necessary. But I have seen children who are masters at controlling their parents in their disobedient, disrespectful, aggressive, unkind and they do something deliberately mean and wrong to another sibling in their family. And then when mother comes to, to work with them, oh, let's just pray. And like prayer is the only thing they need. And then that's all they have to have. And they get right back off off their knees and they're just as mean and cruel as they were before they prayed. Because prayer alone, while it's an important tool, is not enough. Just like having a shovel for your garden. If I only had a shovel... I couldn't be effective to have the full beauty of the garden. There's other things that we need, and prayer is one of those. But let's not miss the opportunity to pray for and with. And my husband has been a tremendous encouragement to me as a wife. Listen up, dads and fathers. I know every day he's praying earnestly for his children in specific areas. What an encouragement that is to me because he is tuned in to the Lord and to his children and he carries the same desire and responsibility and burdens that I have even though he may not be as intimately involved in the day-to-day. So fathers and, and dads, pray for your children. Don't think that's just mother's job when she needs help, that she can go to the Lord. Pray even at work. Think of your children. Think of your wife. And just say, Lord, help them right now. I don't know what's going on, but just bless them and keep them and strengthen them. The second tool I'd like to talk about is the tool of truth. That's the Word of God. And in here, we find all of the principles that God has to make us all that we can be in Him to give us the direction and the wisdom that he has. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. And if we come to him through his word and through prayer, he will direct us. He will enlighten us. He will encourage us to what is right. So often we set aside what we know, because this is common to Christians, isn't it? Everybody has one of these the Bible, we set it aside and we go to books on parenting written by Christian authors and we try all the methods and the suggestions that are in the books and they work for a while, but pretty soon we find that they're not effective. We're missing something. We have compliance, but we don't have a true willing obedience. So I encourage us, not that we can't use those others, but let this be the resource, let this be the foundation, the tool that we spend most or all of our time, most all of our time in the Holy Word of God to go for direction. Teach our children from thus saith the Lord. And as we teach them what is truth, we help to cultivate the desire to live by that truth in their hearts. We also teach them, as we teach them to be truthful and how to accept the truth by what we say to them. Can they trust us? If we want them to trust God, then they have to learn to trust us. So what we say must be truthful. And many of us as parents, although we understand this to be right, we oftentimes forget and we promise things to our children Well, if you do such and such, or if you do that, then we'll do this when you're done. 
And then what happens to us parents? We get busy, right? We forget. And then we break our promise. And then we are teaching our children they can't trust us. Because our words haven't been truthful. And the Lord has really put that in my heart. To follow through with those promises that we make to our children. That the truth that we speak to them is followed through. That they can trust us. Just like the truth which God speaks to us can be trusted. I remember once... This was several years ago. I had told our children, or Tom and I at breakfast had told our children, if all the chores are done on time today, all the school lessons are done, and there's no fussing, and everybody has good attitudes today, after dinner tonight, we're going to go ice skating. It was perfect conditions. Winter had come. The lake had frozen over, perfect like glass, and there was no snow to cover it up. And we, we just long for those days to come, and we can go ice skating. That's a commitment. It's three miles from us, and we have to get all our gear together. And the sun sets very early in Montana, 4.30 in the evening. That means we have to get down to the lake pretty early. So all day long, you know, the children are cheerfully doing their chores, and they're getting their school lessons done. Everything's done. We ate a little early. We even ate on paper plates, so we didn't have so much time to clean up. And it came time to get ready to go, and I started feeling the pressure, mothers, of things that I needed to do. Have any of you felt that way? Like, yeah, I know we, I know we said we needed to go ice skating, and I'm going to follow through. Honey, would you take the children to the lake? You hear what I'm saying, mothers? But what we agreed to with the children that morning at breakfast was we would go as a family to the lake at ice skate. But my list and my pressures became very real, and, and I started to look for a way. You know, well, we're still following through, but it really wasn't. And the Lord called to my heart, truthfulness. You have made a promise. Now, to this day, I cannot remember what was so important. But I can tell you, I made the choice by faith to honor my word before my children. And I went to the lake in spite of what I had to do. What I do remember is I had a great time at the lake. And that's what God wants us to re- he, he always keeps the, the blessings before us, doesn't he? And I remember the fun we had at the lake. I remember going to the lake and, and skating, even though I'm not a very good skater, and having a great time. And it motivated me. And I don't remember what it was that was so important, and I don't even know if it got done or not. But what I remember is the fun that we had, and then the conviction that the Lord put in my heart to honor my word with my children in truthfulness. The third tool that I want to discuss is the tool of patience. It's interesting that the scripture has much to say about patience. You can look the word up in the concordance. And I encourage you, when you go home and you study about these tools, some of which are the very character qualities you want to instill in our children, when you study these, look at the expanded uh, understanding of the words through Scripture. You can look up patience, long-suffering, forbearance or forbearing. All these words are found in Scripture illustrated through real-life situations and helps us to understand what the Lord is trying to teach us. In your patience, Luke says, possess ye your souls. Does that sound like we have a problem if we don't have patience? Absolutely. Because if patience is not an active 
tool in our hand working with the hearts of our children, then impatience is going to be a natural byproduct, right? And impatience causes frustration, discouragement, anger, resistance, and rebellion. Now, I used to think I was very patient. That was before I was married and I had children. I mean, I was a nurse, and everybody appreciated the work I did and seemed like, you know, you could go through difficult situations and just, it was okay. I mean, not, not this pressure if you got yelled at or something. I mean, it was okay. You could just, you know, be patient, let it go off your back. And then after the first child came, I started noticing little symptoms of impatience. But, you know, we have a way to kind of cover over it. I'm tired. I had to work on the weekend. You know, I only, I went to bed at midnight and had, you know, they woke me up at three in the morning for a feet, you know, those kind of things. And so little bits of excuses start to filter in there. We have a way to cover up our impatience. And you know, the young child, you can pretty much do that. But somehow they grow a little older and they become a little more willful and they become a little more deliberate. And you become, if you're like me, a little more impatient, Right? And so the more children I had, the more impatience I saw. And the older they got through their infancy and toddler and early childhood, and then when I started teaching homeschool, oh, my, it was incredible. I didn't know I could be so impatient because the lesson was clear, and all they have to do is this row of problems Just do it. Or stronger. Or more extra words added or however it is that you are impatient. And the Lord shows us that patience is a tool. Every time I was impatient, I did nothing to soften the heart of my children. I hardened it. You harden the hearts of your children when you're impatient with them. And I couldn't gain the victory because I didn't understand because I went to the tool of prayer. I prayed and prayed and prayed earnestly. This was when I first started homeschooling years ago. And I was praying, Lord, help me to be patient. And I would try so hard. And then it seemed like somebody always did something wrong. I mean, it was their fault, right? I mean, isn't that how we are? It's, it's your fault because you didn't do your lesson right. It's your fault because you have a bad attitude. It's your fault because you didn't get it done on time. That's why I feel this way. Everything in society, we have made excuses for why we are feeling miserable. And we're feeling miserable because we're selfish. That's why. It's not what other people have done. It's because what I have chosen. And God wants us to choose the freedom that he can give us. So as I was praying this day for patience, and I had been praying for days, and I I was committed, Lord, I'm going to go through the entire day, and I'm going to be patient. I'm going to trust you. And as I went through the day, I had one test after another test after another test, and it seemed like that particular day, my children were exceptionally testing of me. And as I prayed through the day, and I could feel the peace come, and and take a deep breath, go get a drink of water, take a minute out into the bathroom, whatever you need to do, and come back. Okay, now let's sit down at the lesson. And It seemed like, you know, the Lord was giving me victories. And then all of a sudden, come 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't remember who it was or what it was, 
Because that is not what, what I remember. What I remember is what, I, what happened to me. And all of a sudden, just like a volcanic reaction, my patience gave way. And I didn't even go to the Lord. I just allowed the feelings and emotions and the thoughts that were just burning inside to erupt. Have you ever had that experience? And I, I was so discouraged. I just felt like such a failure because I thought, how am I ever going to help my children if I lose it like this? And so I, I you know... I, I asked him to forgive me, but I went outside, and I went on a long walk, and that walk, I was by myself. Well, I really wasn't by myself, but I was walking with the Lord, and I was crying, physically crying, and emotionally crying out to the Lord. I just can't do this. There's just no hope for me. I, they'd be better having somebody else. I just can't, I just can't be for them, Lord, what, what you are and what you want me to be. How come, Lord, you won't answer my prayer? I have been diligently, Lord, praying, and you aren't answering my prayer. Have you ever asked or accused the Lord? And finally, in those moments of of earnest seeking, I wasn't in rebellion. I truly was confused. The Lord said, I am answering your prayer. And I hope you catch this point. God answers our prayer, not by taking a wand and magically dropping heaven's patient dust over the top of our heads. He answers our prayer by giving us opportunity to be tested and to find victory in him. So all day long, Lord, the more I prayed, the more you tried to answer my prayer. (laughs) I didn't stop praying for patience. I just understood how God works. And that was such an encouragement to me. And then every time after that, I've always gone back to that as a focal point and understanding of of how the the heart work happens and how God answers prayer. He changes us by giving us opportunities to make a choice by faith to allow him to have a heart. And that was a tremendous encouragement. Self-control is another tool that we need to cultivate and use in the hearts of our children. That means this self-control, we have to control our thoughts because oftentimes it's the thoughts that lead to actions and reactions, isn't it? No word, no action, no reaction can happen without a thought. Self-control means we deal with our thoughts in our minds. The attitudes that we have toward our children, the attitude we have toward circumstances... The lack of self-control will hinder us as parents from working in the hearts of our children and making them soft and tender and receptive to the Holy Spirit. Self-control and patience go hand in hand. Self-control outwardly, being a good example in our attitudes to the work in the home. If we have a drudgery, a dreadful countenance, uh, a very sad and forlorn countenance, and we want you know, the children to get their school done and get their chores done, and then we go through the day just discouraged and sour, that lack of self-control will bear a perfect reflection of us in the children. And they will carry the same attitudes that we have. If we will allow God to give us the, His wisdom and his strength to control the natural feelings and thoughts within us 
and we allow him to work in our hearts, we can do the most difficult things, the most uh, unpleasant chores in the home, and we can do it with delight. And that attitude then is presented before the children, and they then learn how to do difficult things and hard things with a positive attitude. Self-control, not only in our countenance, but in our actions. I can remember one day in a grocery store all alone. Usually I take my children with me to town, and we buy the groceries together, and it this particular day in town, I was all by myself, and I was, you know, didn't really eat because it was only me, and I didn't, I thought if I skipped the meal, then I could get more done and get home soon. You know how we reason these things away. If my children would have been with me, we would have had, you know, sandwiches all fixed in the car and all that. But because they weren't with me, I thought, well, I don't need to worry about that. I'll just go through the store and get all my errands done. And as I was walking out the checkout, you know how they have these racks on either side? They always have something there to tempt the flesh, either the appetites or the passions through vision, through uh, taste or whatever it may be. Now, in my youthful years, I was a Tootsie Roll addict and M&M's too, peanut M&M's, but M&M's. And I just knew these really weren't that healthy for me, and I, didn't, I had learned not to let those things control my appetite, and I decided many years before this that I didn't really want that to be a part of my diet. And so here I'm walking through the store, and there was this display, this candy display, and immediately my eye focused on that long brown and white wrapper. And I had such... A craving for that Tootsie. I could taste it in my mouth. It had been years. And I was in a struggle. And you know what my mind did? My children aren't with me. I wouldn't be a bad example, would I? They wouldn't know, and neither would my husband. Not that he didn't tell me I couldn't eat a Tootsie Roll. That was my choice. But you know we have a way to to quickly rationalize things. And so there I was in that temptation. And the Lord called to my heart in self-control because he helped me to remember that my life isn't there to battle these battles and to try to resist temptation because of my uh, flesh or to accept it because of my flesh. My desire was to honor him. Maybe I better check in with him and see what he has to say. And I, I, as I was standing there, and actually it was more than standing, I was actually very close. I mean, I was hovering <laughs> over the Tootsie Rolls. And as I stood there for that, that split second, I had the thought of Joseph under temptation. I mean, if I lost self-control over a Tootsie Roll, how would I ever be in a, you know, the kingdom under temptation. We all have our weaknesses, but let's not look at somebody else's weakness and say, oh, that's really bad. And then continue to fall in little areas that the Lord wants to give us victories in. And I thought of Joseph, and I thought of his first thought was to honor God. He wasn't thinking about what it would cost him or what he could get out of it. His first thought was to honor God and is to gain self-control and allow God to give him the victory over that temptation. And you know what? The Tootsie Roll was left there. And I found such a joy. Not a joy that I had mastered, a joy that I had allowed Christ to give me victory. 
because there's nothing I could have done. You can't resist a Tootsie Roll if you do not have the power of God working in you. You may be able to grit your teeth and walk by it, but someday you're going to find a way to pick it up. And so let's learn the tool of self-control by our example to our children. The tool of stability. That means we say what we mean and we mean what we say. That will command respect from our children. Not in a negative way command. It will enlist, encourage our children to be respectful of us if we have stability in our homes. Successful home government is one of evenness and steadiness. That means we have a schedule. We have established priorities and we live by those priorities. And we learn to mean what we say. That means no means no and yes means yes. And that helps our children to have their hearts tender and soft that we can plant in those character seeds of Christ. Kindness, gentleness, integrity, honesty, purity. When we have stability in our homes... I was standing in a grocery store. This time the temptation wasn't mine. I, did, I think I may have had some of my children with me. And right ahead of me was a mother, much like I was years ago, who I taught my children no means no sometimes. And no sometimes means yes if they are loud enough in a very um, public place. And so there this mother was, and the little child was probably about three years old, and she saw the same little trays or racks there I saw and she she had known what these things tasted like because she was very clear what she wanted off this rack and her mother said no you can't have it and so a little girl got louder and the mother said no and the little girl got louder and the mother got louder and said no I told you the little girl starts climbing out of the basket the mother kind of shoves her back in and then the little girl got louder and more screaming and and by this time you know I felt sorry for the mother because everybody's... I'm standing like she's right in front of me, so I'm trying to turn my head the other way, and everybody else is turning their heads to see what the scene is happening in the grocery store. So then the mother recognizes. She says, no, you can't have that gum. I told you no. And she's trying to be forceful now because she hasn't learned stability in the home. She hasn't taught her child no is no and yes is yes. And so what happened is she started to negotiate. And I've done that, and I'm sure most of you have done that. Negotiate. Okay, you can't have the gum. Would you like this soda? Yeah, trying to get her interest in something else. Well, of course, the girl wanted the soda, but she also wanted the gum, the candy that was there. And the end of the story was she ended up with the, the thing she was told no, the candy, the gum, and the soda, And when she got it, she was still angry at her mother. The mother gained no peace. And the lack of that stability is making that child's heart grow more determined and willful and more unhappy. Because we never can palliate the human heart except it's revived by the Spirit. The humanity can never be satisfied only as we allow Christ to change us from within. Otherwise, we become more and more selfish. Sympathy is the next tool. Learn how to see things through the eyes of your child. I thought it was interesting as I started studying further in some of the inspired counsels that have been given on the scriptures. And there was a quote that went something like this, that we should remember parents when we were children 
Now, why would God tell us to remember when we were children? To see things through the eyes of our children. Because so often we see on the adult level, and we don't enter in to the needs and the disappointments and the little trials our children have. Sympathy is a tool that God wants us to develop and use to learn to see things through the eyes of the child. That doesn't mean we justify the wrongdoing of our child, but we can oftentimes we said, I understand why you did that or why you felt you had to say that. But the result is you're not happy. And so we share, we've learned to give sympathy and understanding, but we've learned not to do that, to condone wrong, but to show an understanding. And that's what God does with us, doesn't he? He tells us, I know you are flesh. But he wants to change that flesh by his spirit. Understanding their misdeeds and their weaknesses. When the girls were little and learning to play the piano, I had them do the same thing again and again and again. And they wanted so much to Mommy, I already did that one. I want to play a different song. And I could enter into their desires because I had taken piano lessons many years before they had. And I remembered wanting to go on without ever having to master the lesson. So I could enter into their desires. I know you do, honey. And I used to be that way too. But you know what? Because I didn't learn the discipline, because I didn't learn how to perfect it and do it exactly like the music was written, it's been hard all these years for Mother to play the piano. I want you to learn it and to stay with it until it is perfect, until you've mastered it. And we applaud people who attain to perfection in these areas in in an external way. God wants us to attain to perfection in character that we become like him. And so entering into that helped me to help my children learn to persevere and to be willing to play the song again and again and again. Showing sympathy to our children when things happen that are unplanned for and that are disastrous. My husband was away from, for meetings. He was gone for the weekend, and I, the children were older. Allison and Emily were probably 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. Too young, even in Montana, to be driving, but old enough to know how to drive. Or at least, you know, father used to on the back roads, let him sit in his lap and steer the wheel. He's done that since they've been little. Don't recommend that in the city, but you can do that on the back roads and they get a feel for it, you know. Let them practice on their bicycles and things like that. Well, anyway, we were getting ready to go to the airport to pick up their father. And one of the girls said, Mother, can I pull up the van? I said, sure, that would be a great idea. So they brought it out of the carport, pulled it up by the, the patio there, parked it, and oh, they were all three so excited and, and like most mothers, I had a few more things I had to do, right? Rush, rush, rush in the house. They're all waiting in the van. I don't know exactly what happened. I was in the kitchen, and I heard the sound of crunching metal. And I just, I recognize the sound. This is a major metal crunch. This is not a bicycle. This is not something hitting the tin roof. This is automobile metal. And I came out the, our patio door and looked over the railing of the deck. 
and I see the front passenger door of our van just crippled, just folded in. It had been opened, and when one of the children went to back up, the door was still open. It caught on the lip of our deck, and that corner of concrete didn't move, and it just took that door and folded it forward. Sympathy, parents. <laughs> I'm thankful to say that the devil is there always. He is very quick, but so is our Lord. And while I had the thought of, ugh, and that immediate, I had just as immediate a call to my heart, just as immediate, the sympathy just came into me. I know it was heaven born sympathy. And I went down there and I said, What happened? And not what's wrong with you and and so I, I was there and you know they were sick I mean you want to see three children get very physically ill Phys- and I was feeling a little bit that way too myself anyway I went down and we didn't sure we could get the door shut we had to go to town and pick up their father you know Mother, I'm so sorry. And do you know, I thought it was very interesting, my sympathy for those children, my understanding, no condemnation, it was truly an accident. Every one of the children took responsibility, but only one was driving. The one who was driving felt the worst. They were in control of this vehicle that folded the door the wrong way. The one who had opened the door felt responsible. They should have shut it. And the one sitting with the sliding door open said, it was my influence because I had my door open. They wanted to have their door open. (laughs) God works so good, doesn't he? So we went to the airport, picked up my husband. And would you believe he was going to be such a gentleman, he went to let me in. (laughs) We were trying to get him, you know, we were going to tell him on the way home. He walked over there and, oh, (laughs) he was sympathetic too. And I took responsibility. (laughs) And you know what? Of course, now if that's out of mother and father's pocket, this is something insurance doesn't cover because driver is not of age. (laughs) So um, it's interesting that all three of our children said, we'll cover the cost. They wanted it. They wanted to pay for it. And so we let them. (laughs) Not out of meanness, but because we saw God working in their heart. Accountability. So let's learn to work with the tools God has given us with sympathy. And enter into how they feel about situations. There's times that there's deliberate, willful disobedience. But we don't have to be angry. We can still have sympathy with the right correction using some of the other tools that God has given us. The tool of insight. Know your child from the inside out. That means we have to spend time with our children. The the tool of insight. James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 5, If any of us lack wisdom, we can do what? Go to God and ask Him. He'll give us the insight and the wisdom we need as parents. To know when they're under temptation. And I found that if we, really, if we really use this tool of insight more frequently, that oftentimes we can actually 
perceive temptation before it becomes strong. Rather than waiting till your child is just angry or frustrated or, or stubborn sitting at their desk with this English lesson, it may be the insight, the tool of insight, is to go over there and look over their shoulder and smile. Oh, you're doing a good job. Or encourage them that it's just the right moment that takes away that temptation to get weary or frustrated or want to give up and not persevere. Insight is a very important tool, but it takes time to know your children. Well, I remember one day walking over to my child, and they were sitting there supposed to be doing a lesson, but in our schoolroom, it's our, it's our home, it sits right by the kitchen window, and they were looking outside, and it was winter, and the snow was lovely, it was falling, and I could just see their eyes keep going to the window. And I came over to the desk and I said, are you applying yourself? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Are you thinking more about the snow than your lesson? Yes. Well, you know what? If you apply your mind to your lesson, you'll be in the snow sooner. And so encouragement, that insight to recognize the need in in the, the way the child would think and their needs, that's a very important tool. Recently, I was with Allison, and she'd come home from work late, and I just had this perception, this intuition, I don't know what you call it, an awareness that she needed time with me, even though it was late. And she knew I was tired, and she knew we had a lot going on the next day. No, well, that's okay, Mother, go to bed. You know, I know you need to rest. No, I want to talk. I didn't want to talk. I wanted her to talk. So I went, and I, she was in bed, and I got in bed with her, and I said, let's just snuggie a minute. And I was rubbing her head, and I said, let's, what's on your heart? What's on your thoughts? Talk to me. Insight. I could see it in her eyes when she came in the door. If I would have allowed her the four or five times she tried to, you know, it's okay, mother, it's okay, it's okay, get rest. If I would have, you know, just done that, I wouldn't have really known what was in her heart. Insight helps us to perceive through the countenance, through the the aura our young people are carrying, to reach in and help them talk through things, work through things, give them direction. The next tool is unity. Unity between parents. If you're in a situation, you have two parents in the home, that unity that comes from God to work together. That's one of the greatest... uh, Areas that many parents, the tool that they don't use very often, because mother says one thing and daddy says something else, to come together in unity. And it's not my ideas, it's not your ideas, it's Lord, what are your ideas? What's your principles? What are your guidelines? And then both parents cooperating with that to have that unity in the home. We were in Safeway, another grocery store story. My son was looking at the magazines, which he doesn't often do. He asked permission because he was looking for a particular magazine on mountain biking. And he had picked it up, and he was leafing through it. And he had gone to his father, which usually Tom isn't in the store with me, but he was in the store with me that day, and he asked his father if he could get the magazine. And then, you know, they come back and meet me over in the veggie section, and there's this magazine in the basket. And I said to Tom... What's this in here for? He said, well, I, I told Josiah he could get it, you know, because we're going to be going to Moab, and this has some of the, the techniques that he needs or that we need to learn in order to know how to bike these trails safely. 
And so we talked about it for a minute, and I said, I just don't feel good about it. Sometimes God puts cautions in our hearts, parents, that we can't explain, we can't give reasons for, but those cautions are there for a very good reason. And we have learned in our home as husband and wife not to push past those cautions. We wait till we see a green light, and we know it's safe to go. But when that red light is red, it's obvious. But when it's just this little blinking yellow, human nature is what? To try to make it through before it goes red, right? And that's the way we are in our spiritual life. If we have these little cautions that start to flash, we want to hurry up and go ahead before we find out we can't do it, right? The caution was there. And I said, There's, I can't explain it. Years ago, I used to have to try to give an explanation that would meet my husband's acceptance, or vice versa. He had to explain to me until I could agree. But we have learned the hard way that sometimes... God will just give a caution to one parent or the other parent, and we need to listen to that caution and then not proceed until it's resolved and we have clear direction. And then it was a little later that we, as my husband picked up the book and started going through it, he just thought it wasn't a very good idea to take it either because they have a way of illustrating things with bicycles that have nothing to do with bicycles, and it wouldn't have been a very wholesome magazine to have. So instead we went out and bought a book that was all on bicycles and and proper technique without all the the advertisements and illustrations that have nothing to do with biking. So find that unity and don't make your spouse have to give you a logical reason why they can't. Listen to those cautions. Find that unity and then proceed together when you know that caution has been removed. And that will help you tremendously. The next tool is growth, the area of growth. The Apostle Paul talks about this, growing up into him in all things. We need to grow intellectually and spiritually. Many parents say, just because I said so, I want you to do it. Growth is we take time to have a reason for what we have, for our directions. Not because I said so, but because there's a reason behind it. That growth is our spiritual growth that's necessary, our intellect that's necessary to expand. What does God have to say? Growth is a very important tool that God can help us to use effectively to cultivate the hearts of our children. The last area I'd like to talk about is the area of faithfulness. That tool of faithfulness, the consistency, the continuity... Jesus tells us through Dr. Luke that if we are faithful in the littlest of things, we will be faithful in much, the big things, all things. Faithfulness, not not slack one day because I'm too tired to be interested, and then the next day, stern, you do this because I said to, And you didn't do it yesterday, so you better do it today. Faithfulness is the day-to-day continuity working with our children. He that is faithful in the little things. God has promised us that as we are faithful in the little things, he will give us much bigger things as a reward. That's not why we're faithful, to gain. That's the byproduct of that. We find the joy of faithfulness as parents 
with our children in the fruit and the experience that our children have, the joy they experience, the, the security they experience. If you want to see an insecure child, you'll see a child who's insecure when faithfulness is a tool that's not being used in the home. That means that they never know how mother or father are going to respond. They never know if it's a yes today and it's given with blessing or a no tomorrow and it's, it's restricted with frustration. Faithfulness as parents in the home, as we work with their hearts, faithful to spend time with God, faithful to spend time with them, and faithful to carry through in all situations... I like the way that Moses talks about this in raising our children, that we should teach them the principles of God in, in our homes when we rise up and when we sit in our house and when we walk by the way and when we lie down at night. That's the faithfulness, the everyday, all day long consistency in the home, that the standards that we establish in the home based off of the Word of God are standards that are maintained in our home, in other people's home, in the church, at camp meeting, wherever that young person goes, as we develop that faithfulness in our homes. So isn't it exciting to see the tools that God has given us? And they're all tools that he knows how to use and work, that he will help us to learn to be effective in raising our children for his kingdom. And that's the ultimate blessing. That's the ultimate desire that we have and our goal in life. And we, ever, we keep it ever in conversation, ever before us. This world we're passing through, it's temporary. Our home is in heaven. And we want to experience the joys of heaven here on this earth. And we can do that as we are faithful to use the tools that God has given us and that he will help us to use with wisdom and with um, expertise. As we kneel in prayer, I've asked uh, Debbie if she would lead us in prayer. As we kneel together, let's ask God to help enlighten our thoughts, enlighten our minds, and to be faithful to use these tools to cultivate His character in our children. Shall we kneel together? To Heavenly Father... Thank you so much for the opportunity that we, each one of us, were able to come here and to listen to these inspiring stories and listen to strengths and weaknesses that we all have. Help us all to humble our hearts, Lord, to you so that we can raise our children for you for eternity. And we love you so much and thank you for all the blessings that you've given to each one of us. And we ask all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.